Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we're your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films like a couple of weirdos at the bars. Maybe we never quite enlighten you. Maybe we never blow your minds. Maybe we argue just a little bit too much. (laughs) But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So you all voted on our topic for the month and you have chosen horror movies for a rainy night. So we are kicking off with one of our favorite franchises for this theme and doing Friday the 13th, the final chapter. So this is part four, came out in 1984. It is set on a rainy night, which is why we chose it. Uh, and it was directed by Joseph Zito, who uh, many of you are probably familiar with this film, The Prowler, which I think is one of the better, uh, I, I don't want to say unsung slasher movies because it has a huge fan base, but you know, it's not as well known maybe as something yeah. like Friday the 13th. <laughs> but he did The Prowler, which is fantastic. Also features Tom Savini's Uh, special effects who did the effects for this film as well uh he came back after doing the 1980 friday the 13th uh, to do this which was awesome and and zito he's a film director who uh did a lot of different things he he was for a long time known as uh, a film quote-unquote doctor (laughs) uh, who was kind of well because he he had a track record of of making successful movies so he was known as this film doctor who was kind of brought in to turn kind of like struggling films into you know, uh, films with more of a potential box office success. So I, I think he was brought in to kind of like do edits and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. But so, yeah, so he had a great, or has had a great career. Uh, it was written by Barney Cohen, who also wrote the film Killer Party. <laughs> and it stars Kimberly Beck as Trish, uh, who kind of came up doing a lot of TV before this. Uh, she actually did enough of her own stunts in Friday the 13th Part 4, I think, to qualify for the stunt performers union awesome <laughs> which is pretty badass you yeah. know because usually you don't see a lot of actors kind of taking on all of the stunts like that so i mm-hmm. thought that was cool Corey feldman as tommy jarvis <laughs> who became obviously you know a huge character in the friday franchise uh, and and you know we all i think know Corey feldman uh was in the lost boys gremlins gremlins actually came out around the same time as the final chapter so it was like a huge couple weeks basically for feldman <laughs> who himself kind of began his career really early on he's always been a part of this industry he i think his first role was in a mcdonald's an award-winning mcdonald's commercial when he was three years old award-winning mcdonald's commercial (laughs) hey commercials win awards too they're people they're people too so uh so so yeah he did that uh i think he came up in tv and then i think he was in the show bad news bears and then Friday the 13th final chapter was, I think, his first big, like, feature film starring role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and his first big horror role, and that eventually became the genre he was really involved with, right? Uh, and it's funny, too, if I remember right, I think that the casting coordinators were telling Zito that, like, Feldman was a huge fan of the Friday the 13th franchise and they should hire him and whatever. 
And I think if I remember correctly, according to Feldman, he thought that this was a Halloween movie. (laughs) And then they got to the set and it was Friday. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Friday the 13th. (laughs) And then it also stars Ted White as Jason, who had a long career as a stuntman uh, and an actor, you know, which is why Zito cast him. He wanted a stuntman who could also act. And uh, and Ted White, you know, he's well known for his stunts on a lot of features, including uh, Escape from New York from John Carpenter. And... his what's interesting about white is that you know he's i think the oldest actor to ever play jason uh, or at least he was at the time like the oldest actor to have been cast to play jason Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because you know white basically felt really uneasy about having played the character so why you see that he's uncredited is that he felt so uneasy about it that he had his name removed from the credits (laughs) but then it's interesting because later on you know, not only did he become one of the fan favorites to have ever played Jason, yeah. but he was also offered, apparently, the role of Jason in parts five and six and oh. ended up turning them down. And I guess he regrets that now. So <laughs> uh, it's a little interesting tidbit there. And then the film also features, I wanted to mention him, Crispin Glover as Jimmy. <laughs> you know, uh, Crispin, kind of the dude known as, like, Hollywood's, like, maniac, basically. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> he's a bit of an eccentric character. Played Marty McFly's dad in Back to the Future. He was also, you know, in the film Willard and just all kinds of, you know, great roles where he's played really just, like, interesting kind of eccentric characters, right? <laughs> and, and that comes out quite a bit in Friday the 13th. The final chapter, which I think makes it one of the better films in the franchise, because right? <laughs> he's so good in it, and and yeah, I mean, as far of as far as what this one's about, you know, it's Friday Thirteenth, pretty basic <laughs> plot. So basically, you know, Jason escapes from the morgue after having been killed in part three, and then he comes back and stalks uh, a couple of houses that are next door to each other. So on one side you've got the Jarvis family, and on the other side you have a group of teens who have come to rent a cabin for the weekend. And and Jason starts clean again, and that's basically the plot. <laughs> ah, I mean, you infringe on his territory, he's going to murder you. Exactly. So despite the lack of plot there, uh, <laughs> we will be spoiling everything in this film that we can. So if you have not seen Friday 13th, the final chapter, I do recommend you go check it out. Uh, it's my personal favorite in the franchise. I, <gasps> I know... <laughs> okay, I okay, I like this one a lot. It's definitely up there for me, but we all know that Jason X is my favorite because of the ridiculousness. Hey, look, Jason X is a lot of fun, too. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I will talk about why this is my favorite, but uh, but we are going to be spoiling everything, so go check it out if you haven't. Well worth your rental. I, I don't think that it's streaming that I know of, uh, unfortunately, because every fucking Friday the 13th movie should be streaming. Absolutely. And it's why I will defend to the death physical media, because streaming always disappoints you. <laughs> yep. So anyway, we do have our usual brief bit of spoiler-free content before we get into spoilers, so we'll let you know when we're about to do that. So that being said, you know, we've got our tagline versus the film, uh, where we just kind of talk about the tagline and what we think of the movie overall. So the tagline for Friday the 13th, the final chapter, uh, I don't believe that this was on the poster, so it's not that kind of tagline, but sort of the selling message, I guess, which appears in the trailers for the movie, was, Three times before you have felt the terror, known the madness, lived the horror. But this is the one you've been screaming for, because Friday, April the 13th, will be Jason's unlucky day. (laughs) (laughs) 
So what do you think of that tagline, and what do you think of the final chapter overall? <laughs> okay, I do kind of love it, but let's be honest, every Friday the 13th movie is Jason's unlucky day, because he always gets stabbed. He I o- mean, something always happens to him. It's a bad day for him. <laughs> I mean, it's not a good day for him. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, he seems to enjoy killing, so, yeah. you know, I guess there's that part of, like, it's sort of a good birthday for him, because he gets to... He gets to kill know, some people. He gets to off a lot of teenagers. He gets to witness, you know, some sex and whatnot uh enact <laughs> in his voyeuristic ways but but yeah he does you know I, I don't think everyone wants to spend their birthday with a machete in their face or anything so <laughs> no no that's not fun that's like the equivalent of like one of the kids at your birthday party either taking like your favorite piece of cake or just fucking stealing one of your presents like it's just rude it's jason's birthday you should know. get to kill who he wants to kill i mean maybe maybe he gets off on it though you know maybe jason's kind of like a masochist he's he, got like a pain fetish <laughs> he loves getting the shit beat out of him you know i mean <laughs> Ew, do not ruin my boy like that i'm gonna i'm gonna spend this whole episode trying to ruin your voice well, <laughs> Fair enough. Look, for me, I do really like this one. In terms of Friday the 13th, it is always hard for me to choose, like, which one exactly is my favorite. I default to, like, Jason X just because it's so ridiculous. And so many people didn't like it for so long that it kind of came my little, like, my little baby that I had to defend. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, we, we all kind of have those movies, you know, yeah. that that film that's so hated that we're just <laughs> like, no, fuck you guys. This movie's great, and I'm going to defend it with my life. <laughs> yeah. For me, I guess this is, like, this definitely ranks at number two. I'm always torn between this one and then part six, because I like, I like that last Tommy Jarvis story a lot. But, yeah, this one, it's got some great kills. I really love the characters in it. Obviously, Corey Feldman's amazing, Crispin Glover. I just, his fucking dance scene alone makes me love this film, so. Oh, I mean, Crispin Glover in this movie has one of the best... <laughs> dance moments in film history as far as i'm concerned yes yes (laughs) i want to see a dance off between him and john travolta yeah well and the funny thing about this too is like you know zito claims that he wished that you know that was like his direction directing (laughs) crispin to dance like that but the Mm -hmm. truth of the matter is is that that was just how crispin danced like (laughs) like and it's funny like it was almost like legendary status of like crispin was doing this dance all over hollywood at the clubs and stuff like that and (laughs) And, like, it was almost like people knew about this, right? Like, it was a what? thing that people knew. And and when he does this dance in the film, they had to do it multiple times because the cast, you know, a lot of them, it was the first time seeing this, and they just, like, could not hold it together because <laughs> they were so mesmerized or cracking up by, like, what the fuck is this <laughs> dance that Crispin is doing? <laughs> I mean, he does nearly punch a girl in the face. Oh, yeah. No, like, like I said, he is Hollywood's madman. So. Yes, we love him. <laughs> uh, we love him. We adore Crispin. You know, first of all, just some things behind the final chapter. It, it's one of the, it, it was a Friday film that was shot all in California instead of New Jersey where the original film was shot. You know, it's just always funny. I love talking about these quote unquote final chapter movies <laughs> because in a horror, we know that, you know, it's a well-established rule that when you call your movie the final chapter, it's never the final chapter. No, it's it a is, fucking lie. It is never the end of the character. You know, Freddy's dead? No, Freddy's still alive. <laughs> These characters always come back, and and of course Jason came back. We all know that now. But at the time, you know, a lot of people don't really realize this, is that horrors always faced really bad censorship, mm-hmm. and it still really fucking pisses me off that <laughs> a lot of modern horror fans are trying to, like, heavily censor movies you know yeah that's bullshit with this like no sex talk and no more guns and movies and like it's just like stop (laughs) like stop like stop trying to fucking be one of the people that we've been that this genre has been fighting against 
ever since its conception, you know. Yeah. But but the 80s were a bad time too because we had this like satanic panic and there was like this <laughs> this view of parents that oh we're we're losing our kids to like violence and movies and video games and 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 Satan and rock music, you know, like they, all that bullshit. All that stuff, you know, all that great stuff and they you know, so so the Friday films especially became a target of that, you know, critics like Roger Ebert always claimed that it was like just a bunch of dead bodies and you know they they didn't understand like the the entertainment value of these movies Mm -hmm. so friday was heavily criticized as being just like this you know awful like violence driven franchise which i mean they're not wrong friday 13 is a body count (laughs) well look i mean they're they're not wrong about about the fact that it's a body count what Mm -hmm. they were wrong about was the effect of these movies you know because they really don't understand that you know, it's it's an exercise in, like, f- facing and defeating your demons. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a thrill to, like, you know, s- watching death happen on screen but surviving it yourself, if that makes sense. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the safe way to do it. So, anyway, I, I've, I've always viewed, of course, these movies as very cathartic. And the general public didn't see it that way. And so these movies were always heavily criticized. And why this was the final chapter, quote-unquote, is Paramount was embarrassed by the Friday 13th <gasps> franchise and they they became especially embarrassed because every time they made one of these movies it was a huge box office success you know so like so like you have you have some studios you know making like these these grand dramas like you know godfather or whatever and mm-hmm. and then they look over and here's paramount like you know making these little million dollar movies that are like game busters at the box office uh, so they always got attention for that, and Paramount was apparently embarrassed by it, and they didn't want to keep doing it. So, so this became the final chapter, and I just think it's funny because you know they they wanted to kill Jason off here, and then of course like you know yeah, shortly stick. shortly after it's like okay we're bringing Jason back. So. I just I don't get that concept of being embarrassed by making money, like being embarrassed by like making a movie that people care about well i mean you know horror movies in the slasher genre especially have always been looked at as like just barely a level above porn which i also think is ridiculous Mm -hmm. especially because i mean you know porn's fine too like it's not (laughs) like i just i I, you know we're such a fucking uptight culture so i I really quickly want to say uh before we move on to the spoilers is that Part of the reason this is my favorite is, you know, there there was this camp out that used to do, or not necessarily camp out, but there was this uh, company that used to do these screenings in the park. And Chris and I attended one for Friday 13th part, or the final chapter one night. And it was awesome because they had this big, like, outdoor screen set up. And, and where we were was this kind of hill, like, overlooking Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. and, and it was at night, so it was kind of beautiful. And, and we were also in this park, so you're, like, surrounded by trees and stuff. And there was, like, music and people walking around dressed like Jason and other monsters. And it just the final chapter had always been one that I really liked, but part six was my favorite for a long time just because of how entertaining it is. Mm-hmm. And then we went and saw the final chapter during the screening. And it was the first time I had seen it with an audience and just watching it with an audience in a park, in the dark, you know, it changes uh, everything. It changes everything. And it just made me realize like how actually frightening as well as entertaining this movie is, mm-hmm. you know, which is why, which is why I always think that the, 
and and you know and look i i argue for films being streamed at home myself and everything uh but it's why i always argue against the idea that like seeing a film in a theater is no different than watching it at home because it changes like the experience matters you know yeah being with and, your community matters right like i think a big part of why i enjoyed the latest texas chainsaw massacre is because i watched it with you and we got <laughs> to like we got to sit there and comment on it and have fun while watching it and i mm-hmm. think if you watch it by yourself it's probably not as entertaining right so yeah um, so these experiences matter. And so that one kind of made, you know, that elevated the final chapter for me to my favorite because not only was it a great experience, but it just really made me realize like this movie is actually fucking terrifying. <laughs> was it also because there was a Crispin Glover dance off competition well, well, at that event? <laughs> well, that certainly helps. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we are going to get into spoilers now. So again, if you have not seen the film, please go do so. Uh, otherwise, we're going to be spoiling just about everything that we can with this. Uh, so I think the thing that I want to talk about first here is is the fact that, you know, first of all, not only does horror have, or not only do slasher films have very few, quote-unquote, final boys, (laughs) (laughs) but the Friday franchise especially is interesting because you had the first three movies with a final girl, Mm -hmm. and then for three movies straight, we get Tommy Jarvis as our final boy. Mm -hmm. So just like, what do you think about the idea that, you know, here's this fourth film, this final chapter, the one that's supposed to be the end of Jason and suddenly we have a final boy instead Mm -hmm. of a final girl. (laughs) Look, I love it. You know, it's one of the things that I really love about the Friday the 13th franchise is it has a tendency to really kind of weirdly challenge some of these like horror norms that we usually see for being a body count movie. You don't expect it from Friday the 13th. Does I mean, it really challenge? I mean, I, it, I think it does. You have Pamela, and then you bring Tommy, and not only do you like do a final boy, but you give him a trilogy. Well, that's fair. You know, we did start off with. I mean, it's the funny thing, right? We start off with a female killer, yeah, and then you know Jason takes over instead yep. of Pamela, which I still question that. But <laughs> I do too. But I love Jason because I, I would have. I I do too. But I would have loved an undead Pamela, you know, <gasps> for an entire so franchise. <laughs> Uh, just because I think we need more like great female slashers. Agreed. But no, but it but it does kind of challenge that, and I think you know it's interesting because it, it, not only is it a final boy, it's you know it's a small kid. Yeah. Um, which I think is really great, and I think for a lot of horror fans, that was especially really nice to have because you know <laughs> for there's something that is always sort of conflicting with me with these movies is that and very present in the Friday Thirteenth franchise, which is that you know for for as much as we love this genre as horror fans mm-hmm. and, and and we see ourselves in them being the outcasts, you know, typically we see them, we see ourselves in the monsters. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's a weirdly frustrating experience sometimes with horror, especially in the earlier days or in the eighties, because most of the characters that are surviving <laughs> or that we're seeing are like the cool kids, you know, yeah. the, like the kids that were typically like meaner to us, you know, <laughs> and, and I, and I, I'm not trying to generalize. I'm not saying that's every horror fan mm-hmm. was like the outcast, but, but we typically I think are and, or, or at least misunderstood. And so it's always weird kind of watching like the cool kids, you know, as like the main <laughs> characters. And, and it was fun to see Tommy, like, especially as a kid myself, you know, I remember being really intrigued by that. It was fun to see Tommy as like this kid who kind of represented a lot of us. You know, mm-hmm. he he is the outcast. He is kind of weird. He's in the horror. He makes Monster Mass, which is a tribute to Tom Savini, you know, mm-hmm. and him coming back to this film. And and you know, and that's just that was just really cool and exciting to see. And it's it's why I think that's another reason this is one of my favorite Fridays, is because 
you know, instead of instead of watching one of the cool kids take on Jason, mm-hmm. uh, I get to see, you know, a kid that's like me take on Jason. Yeah. A- and there's something that's just very cathartic and kind of like inspiring about that is like, yeah, like even myself, like the the fucking weirdo that likes <laughs> horror mass and shit, like I can take on Jason, you know, like that that was going through my head as a kid of like like, I have the power to do that. Yeah, what I really like about, you know, Tommy Jarvis as our as our final boy in this one in particular, because he does kind of become a different character in the later movies, I feel like. Well, he's a little bit traumatized, he, I would say. He is, but look, the Tommy Jarvis we meet in this is such a brilliant kid, and that's so cool. Like, he knows how to fix cars. He knows how to make these awesome masks and all these prosthetics and all that kind of stuff. You, you know what I have to say, not to interrupt really quick, but what I have to say about that is that the the one thing that's like really depressing when you think about it with this movie is had Tommy Jarvis not gone through all this shit with Jason, mm-hmm. he probably would have been like the most successful FX artist in horror movies ever. Oh, absolutely. Because not only is he super fucking smart, but he is so goddamn good. <laughs> I mean, this kid is already making like these really complex like animatronic masks. They're <laughs> at, insanely at the impressive. Of, at the age of like 10. <laughs> You know, and, and it, I mean, yeah, like th- those were all mass like contributed by the FX people of on course. the film because because no fucking kid was making a mask like that. But you don't know that there could be twelve year olds out there making those masks. I don't know that, but they're but they're it's it was impressive. A pretty impressive. It's impressive. He would have had a good career. Uh, but you know, I I like that. To your point, you know, we normally see kids like that as like the weirdos and the outcasts. And what I do love is he has a very supportive family system. Like at no point in time does like his mom or his sister like call him really like a little weirdo like Mm. he enters the scene and hit like one of his alien masks and his mom's just like cool go get a haircut i'm like she also tells him him he's gotten really good at making those yeah she's super supportive yeah which is nice because a lot of because you're right a lot of times in movies you know if you see a character like that there are people being like god you little fucking weirdo you know but but everyone who encounters tommy and his mask are like that's pretty dope they're super supportive rob meets him and gets dragged into his bedroom which i think is hilarious i i love the mom's reaction of having to just like look at this fucking grown man (laughs) coming in and leading her small boy up to his bedroom and just this like fucking stranger just marching into their house like, uh, where's my child going, going with that fucking man <laughs> to I, his bedroom? <laughs> I feel like if you have a kid like like Tommy who probably like maybe doesn't have a whole bunch of friends, you're just excited to see him like connecting with someone no, else, even I if it's just like a weird hitchhiker I, they I picked sh- up. <laughs> I strongly doubt that it's that the eighties. It's more innocent. <laughs> no, I strongly doubt that that is what Mrs. Jarvis, played by Joan Freeman, is thinking uh, because. No, no mother, no matter how supportive they want to be of their child, is excited about a complete stranger of a man being led up to their child's fucking bedroom that you don't even know the name of yet. Hey, fair enough. But no, but but yes, that is cool. And lo- and look, this is one of the other things that that was done differently for this film is that you know the first three Friday Thirteenths are all about teenagers and camp counselors and whatever getting hacked a bits right and <laughs> and this one and for the final chapter i feel like it seems weird to say that they up the stakes so i don't want to quite put it that way but they change things up a bit by we're not just going to have horny teenagers this time we're also going to have a family yeah and and what i think is cool about having the family is that you know especially for a kid my age who encountered this movie at a young age it, it becomes a sort of thing of like you know <sighs> As, as a as a viewer watching, you can kind of write it off as like, oh, like Jason only kills people at, at, at the camp. He only kills camp counselors and horny teenagers, right? 
and and when you watch this for the first time it's almost this sense of like Jason isn't just coming for horny camp counselors now. He's coming for you. Yeah. You know, he's coming He's coming to your house. He's coming to your family. You know? <laughs> well, they're on his property. He has they, a right. Are they, though? Because All of Crystal Lake is his property. <laughs> no one's allowed. I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure how close this house is to Crystal Lake. but <laughs> You know, they can walk to the lake so it counts. Get off his fucking property. Indeed. Uh, you know, one quick thing I want to say about, about Corey Feldman before we move on is that Ted White fucking hated him. Oh. <laughs> and I always love stories like this because, you know, because Ted White's like this older guy playing Jason mm-hmm. and, and he didn't really hang out with the cast because he wanted, you know, he wanted the same character and have them be like afraid of Jason, which a lot of them were because Ted White was very physical, Jason, you know? Yeah. Very physical. So they were afraid of him. And it, he talks pretty warmly about most of the cast, but he hated Corey Feldman. He actually refers to Feldman as a mean little kid. <laughs> <laughs> who and he actually says that he wanted to just like spank Corey. <laughs> oh my god. Because <laughs> he's this old-fashioned dude who just hated this child on set. And and Corey himself was kind of like Ugh, I don't know about this dead white guy. <laughs> so some of the moments that you see in the film where like Jason comes through the glass and grabs Corey, that's like actual terror on Corey Feldman's face because he felt so uncomfortable with him. <laughs> the conflict was real. <laughs> the conflict was real. Although the nice thing is that Ted White did eventually, you know, he does say that, like, that Corey had the energy of an adult and, like, did a good job, mm-hmm. ultimately, but he still <laughs> hated working with him. <laughs> Fuck this kid. You know, and, like, speaking of that, like... The, the version of Jason in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, Ted White brought a hell of an energy to mm-hmm. that character that really I just don't think we got in parts two and three. No. No, this is this is my second favorite Jason. Um, Next to Kane Hodder, I'm assuming. Of course, <laughs> Kane Hodder. It will always be my Jason because I love him. Um, but Ted White is my second favorite, and it's because this Jason is so much meaner. Like, he's fast, he's stealthy, he's fucking mean. And I completely attribute to the fact that he just got stabbed in the goddamn head. Because I want to say the the third one ends on, he, he gets... Like the the machete to the face, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why he's got the the, the mark dead, in his right? mask. Yeah. Sometimes I have trouble keeping track of what happened in what movie. Listen, Jason's <laughs> been killed a lot of times. It's exactly. okay. <laughs> I am so I hundred percent attribute to it that he just literally woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Like he woke what? up. He woke up in the morning. He, he woke up and he's like, you know what? I'm fucking. I'm sick of being a fucking zombie. I'm gonna. I'm gonna kill some. I'm gonna kill the shit gonna, out of some people. I'm gonna right kill now. everybody. He woke up and he's like, I got a fucking headache. We've all been there where mm. we just like wake up. We've had a bad day and we just fucking see red. When Jason sees red, just he literally will see red because he'll murder everybody. It, it reminds me of this comment that uh, that Zito made about the film where he said that his first time I think seen it in like a screening with an audience mm-hmm. there's the moment where Jason gets his hand chopped in the end mm-hmm. and I guess there was this audience member that was like oh Jason's mad now and, <laughs> and Zito would just laugh because he's like oh yeah because he wasn't mad about all the other shit that's been happening to him through right? these movies <laughs> like that's a hundred percent at this point like this is the third time or the second time that Jason's really like woken up from a serious traumatic injury so yeah mm. I feel like with this movie he's just fucking done he's tired of these fucking people and his goddamn property who keeps stabbing him with shit so that's kind of my take on this jason but also i think that this is one of the first films where we see jason actually start like 
putting bodies and arranging them like you know he like nails crispin glovin's character he nails jimmy to like the goddamn doorway like Mm. just as a barricade i fucking love it because he just uses it to try to keep trish in the house she just goes out the goddamn window but then jason's just like oh no i set up my own artwork i can destroy it just rips him off of the goddamn frame yeah he's vicious in this movie you know i so like i i totally understand why kane hotter is everybody's favorite you know it, it especially helps that i think Kane did four movies, you know, yes, so like, it does. so that that helps tremendously. Um, mm-hmm. but but I do think that like you know, I can't quite say that Ted, that Ted's my favorite because Kane Hodder has so many iconic moments in <laughs> in the franchise. But I think had Ted done five and six like he was offered, mm-hmm. uh, I think he would have been my favorite Jason because there is just like a an intensity to Ted's mm-hmm. performance that really comes through in final chapter and, and I think sets it a bit apart from some of the other Friday the 13th films. Like this is, you know, I, I do consider this the last truly terrifying Friday in the franchise because of Ted White's performance, because yeah. y- you just get this sense sometimes on set that like Ted is ready to kill somebody. <laughs> and, and that, and, and, and that is not to speak against this character. That's not who Ted was as a person, yeah. but you do get this feeling of like, Ted's gonna fuck some shit up, you know? Yeah. And 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 Jason just gets to be very physical in this movie. Like you have the kill where he he shoves the dude's face up against the wall and is like crushing it, you know? <laughs> There's just stuff like that that just it, it's very unnerving, just like how how much of a physical presence he has in this. Because, you know, part part two, I always felt like Jason's kind of like a bumbling idiot, you know? He is. And, and he just saw his mama get killed. He's figuring this whole murder thing out. Right. He's still got a sag. You can only see out of one eye. Right. And part three, he's kind of like a clunky, stiff zombie, you know? And and, and Ted, Ted, when he was cast, like, that, he made, he made sure specifically that that was not a thing that Jason was going to do. He didn't want Jason to be... You know, that kind of lumbering zombie. Like, he mm-hmm. wanted to be fast. He wanted to be physical. He wanted to be intense. And, and Zito was all about that. The studio wasn't. The studio <laughs> wanted his zombie Jason, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it was the best choice to have Ted be more physical and be faster and, and you know, be more intense. Because it it really does make you feel like there's no stopping Jason, you know? Yeah. Like, he is scary in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you. I would have been very curious to see if he had continued Jason because, you know, his Jason, I think, doesn't get a whole lot of screen time. Like, we love Kane, but we also love Kane because we see him on screen so much, and he's so good at doing, like, those silent body movements, you know, when he's basically just breathing and making Jason a menacing presence just by, like, standing there. You know, yeah. but but Ted's Jason is much more in the shadows, and that's what makes him scary in this. He's mm. much more violent. He's much more creative with his kills. He's arranging bodies. He's meaner. He's He ruined, like, eight windows in this movie because he's just well, fucking throwing dead well, bodies. Well, well, here's the thing. I, I, would, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that Ted White's Jason, or the final chapter Jason, as we'll call it, I, I wouldn't say that he's more creative with his kills. I mean, Kane's, Kane's got probably some of the best oh. kills in the franchise. I, but I think, speaking to your point, you mm. know, this is this is a a more physical Jason yeah. in a lot of ways because you do have just like so many fucking <laughs> windows and doors smashed, you know? I mean like anytime I want to talk about uh, Friday anytime I want to talk about like Jason smashing onto the scene or something, mm-hmm. I I use gifts from this movie uh, on social media because because it has so much of Jason just like crashing through things 
or throwing other people through things. It's why I thought that this movie would be perfect for this topic because, because I feel like, you know, the first in parts one through three, what, what little bits we see of Jason in one and then two and three, I, I feel like Jason is a little more maybe humanized mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense. He I is. Mean, I mean, in part three, he is kind of more of a fucking lumbering oaf, you know, but, yeah. but he's, but he's more, but he's more human in those movies. Mm-hmm. And what I think is so cool about part four is they, they really went all in on the idea of this being the final chapter. And so I think with that, and with the popularity of Jason kind of coming up through our culture and, you know, becoming this kind of horror icon with part four, they really make him a legit force of nature, you yes. know, like with the storm comes Jason, like Jason, <laughs> this movie puts an emphasis on the idea that Jason is the fucking storm, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, like if, if Jason shows up, it's not just, you know, people being secretly killed off and, and like, you know, silently in the shadows, like parts uh, two and three. This mm-hmm. is Jason. Jason is going to fucking crash into your life and destroy everything. You know. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I, I love that. I love just how much shit is just <laughs> annihilated in this movie. <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite things. And look, I don't think we could have gotten our Kane Hodder Jason without this one, without Ted White's. Because yeah, to your point, in you know Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, we still have a Jason who can be reasoned with. You know, when um, when she ends up putting on Pamela's sweater and confuses him, he's still human. He can kind of be reasoned with. And then Ted White shows up on the scene and is just like, no, you can't reason with Jason. You can't deter him. You can't stop him. He will just fucking throw bodies to your goddamn window and break every I, door. I disagree a little bit. I mean, first of all, I don't think he could be reasoned with in part two. He can be confused. Well, but he's confused in this one too. That that's why When dis- is he confused? Are you kidding me? That's why I disagree because Corey Feldman confuses him with looking like him in the end. That that's what I think he's him- more like, what the fuck is up with this weird kid? Well, I know, but that's what makes him stop from killing Trish for a moment, you know, because mm-hmm. he's confused in that moment. So so I disagree with you there. But but yes, I do think that Jason is just this force in this movie that he wasn't quite in the other films, you know, mm-hmm. like he really becomes that in this. And, and I, 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 again, I love that because it just emphasizes what he had become in the culture because in our culture, Jason had become a force yeah. at the box office. Jason was a force, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, he became an icon. <laughs> and, <My boy. laughs> right. And, and, and I just, I just think that that's really cool that that's emphasized in this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we did eventually continue with the later sequels where Jason kind of becomes a lot more violent, I think. Yeah. But w- what's also kind of weird about the film a little bit is at the same time that, you know, we're kind of like highlighting the presence and the force that Jason has become. There's also something a little off about how the film kind of treats death as well, because, you know, there's a very cold approach to it. And Mm -hmm. and I'm not, I'm not going to say that, you know, (laughs) it's not like, it's not like the other films in the franchise or most slashers ever treat death as anything, but a little bit cold, but there, there's a specific coldness to the final chapter that just almost kind of strikes me as like I this is not what Zito intended as far as I as far as I know or the or the screenwriters and and I I don't know that the studio had much say in this but there's there's just this feeling of like 
the final chapter also being a little bit kind of like fuck you guys for liking violence so much <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit callous in yeah. how it how it approaches everything no i agree with you like that's kind of how i felt especially on this rewatch watching in that opening scene because we open on you know the the death scene from the last film you know we're going back to that barn and we're dealing with the emergency services and the emts coming to clean up and the EMTs are surprisingly just, like, dismissive of all the bodies. Like, they have a couple of lines in there that are really quite chilling to hear from, like, somebody who's supposed to be, like, you know, care about human life. Cause yeah, they, I mean, we, we understand, though, that most of these people are just doing a damn job. <laughs> I mean, they are, but, like, you know, there there's a moment where, like, you know, they're, they're going, our two EMTs are going into the barn to collect Jason's body, and... You know, the head MT just kind of asked a question like, oh, so is this the guy who's leaving all the wet stuff? Referring to the 10 people he killed. Mm. Like, they're, you know, taking the the victims from all of our previous films, you know, these people who we got attached to, and we're reducing them down to, like, not even being people anymore. They're just wet stuff. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we, we kind of see that, like, slightly dehumanizing, you know, bit of death play out, like, throughout that entire opening scene. Like, we have the quintessential thing where the coroner puts a goddamn sandwich on a dead body. He's so unperturbed. There, there's got to be, like, a thousand <laughs> movies with that goddamn coroner trope, I, you know? <laughs> I don't get it. Like, Well, I mean, I get it because, you know, I, I've always gotten that because it's, it's not – it's less commenting on, you know, the – the idea of death being whatever mm-hmm. it, it's more it's more of just a thing of like you know for for everyone like your job just becomes your job you know yeah. so for a coroner like they've seen so many dead bodies that eventually it, it's probably just a job for some of them you know now i'm not saying that every coroner is like putting their fucking sandwich on the corpse and eating that's it that's unhygienic <laughs> that's a little bit unhygienic <laughs> and probably not something that any of them do yeah. um but yeah no there is just this sense of like in it being the final chapter there's just a heavier sense of death and the callousness of the approach to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I kind of love that after you get the, the opening sequence, you know, with the kind of flashbacks to everything, which by the way, as a kid, I always loved it. Like the, the it, it, <laughs> you love a little recap. Yeah. Like that, that was not like Zito didn't want that in the film. That was a studio thing that was inserted into it. Although, although I think Zito does like it now, but it was always something that I kind of loved as a kid because it's not just that it's a recap. It's more of like, it kind of establishes this legend of Jason, right? Mm -hmm. Like it it makes him feel like this kind of mythical figure by going through all of these different, you know, films and the kills that he's had and all that kind of stuff. And as a kid, there's just something like, kind of oddly magical about that you know it's like a campfire story yeah i think that's a good way to put it Mm -hmm. it kind of yeah it emphasizes like the campfire idea with it and and anyway you know following that the the very first image which i think is interesting is you open on this bright white light from the helicopter you know Mm -hmm. and it's almost like (laughs) it's almost like the light is like this this white light of death of like okay you're you're entering into another world now like you're moving on beyond the plane of life and into like a plane of death you know that's that's what that light feels like to me mm-hmm. and then yeah you get all of these comments from the paramedics like all dead some emergency you know and just like <laughs> The way they treat that and the way the coroner treats it, you know, and wanting to, like, fuck around the corpses and <laughs> everything. And, you know, even just that emphasis on on Jimmy, played by uh, Crispin Glover, being called a dead fuck by his quote-unquote friend, Ted, played by Lawrence Monison. You know, 
Like, e even that feels like that's playing into just the idea of, you know, sex and death in, mm -hmm. in a Friday the 13th film. You know, that, that idea of sex equals death. You know, this, this, this dead fuck, sex equals death. And mm -hmm. just how death is so prevalent in the movie. And there is just like, again, I don't think it's the intention, but it almost sort of ties into what the public's perception of Friday the 13th was at the time, mm -hmm. you know, and critics like Ebert, what they kind of thought of it at the time, it, it almost sort of, well, maybe a better way to put it is that it almost sort of feels like the filmmakers took all of that in, into consideration and were like, okay, fine. You think that our movie is just about sex and death. Mm -hmm. We're going to make our movie just about <laughs> sex and death. You know, it, it almost so I guess maybe a better way to look at it is that it's almost like a middle finger to all of that mm -hmm. and being like fine that's what you think we are that's what we're gonna be yeah and, and we're gonna and we're gonna do it as well as we possibly can you know <laughs> and so and so there is just that constant feeling of you know death is everywhere we're taking a cold approach to it but we're gonna have fun doing it so. yeah no I definitely agree with you I think that there is like one kind of to your point funny little moment where like you know we're in the hospital scene and they're rolling like Jason's body through the hospital and we get the briefest glimpse at grieving parents and that's mm. the closest in this entire franchise like yes I know we have Rob who is the the sibling of you know one of the Sandra from part two yeah um, and so he's there for vengeance, but those grieving parents are the closest we ever come in the entire, I think, Friday franchise of really dealing with grief. And it's such a small shot. So for me, it was always just like Friday being like, yeah, no, we're not fucking dealing with that. Yes, there's grief. Fuck that shit. We're mm. here for the death and the sex and all that kind of stuff. And by that token, Crispin Glover, if you're a dead fuck, <laughs> then you should be safe because you're not going to have sex if you're terrible at it. Uh, I mean, no. People who are bad at sex still have sex, Chris. I don't. I don't know. I don't think that makes sense. Um, but so ignoring what you just said, uh, the the I, I do think, and, and you know, and going back to the opening scene because I do think it's interesting is just that you know we we actually get kind of it, it's the first time in the Friday franchise that we really get post a Friday massacre mm -hmm. with not just recovering Jason's body, but then we also get a shot of like all the paramedics and police have left and the camp is just left as like this black, silent, desolate yeah. place, you know? And this is it. So, so parts of it, even though it feels like a middle finger, I guess to critics like Eber and journal audiences, there is also kind of this reminder of like death is permanent. Like mm -hmm. the film is kind of talking to us as the audience a little bit of like, we know you're entertained by this, but don't forget, like, death is real, it's permanent. It leaves and, a hole. And it, and it leaves a hole in your life, you know? Yeah. So, so, so in a weird way, Friday the 13th gets a little real, I think, in that moment, <laughs> um, which is pretty interesting. Going back to how this is middle finger too, like, all the concerned parents, I think, and, and you know, critics like Ebert. And I'm going to keep mentioning Ebert because I fucking hated his opinion on horror movies. You know, yeah. not, not to disrespect the dead, but goddamn did he just obliterate these movies for no reason. But as a middle finger to them, you know... Friday the 13th, the final chapter is also interesting because it almost, I say almost because I think some other ones may be top of it, but almost more than any other Friday, this one really puts an emphasis on not just the death, 
and the sex equals violence, mm -hmm. but the sex itself and voyeurism, <laughs> you know? Like, I sort of look at it as there is so much talk about sex and being horny mm -hmm. and sex itself, <laughs> like people actually having sex, that, you know, it almost feels kind of like Friday the 13th, like, understood the assignment, and the assignment was tits. <laughs> yes. Look, I... I honestly do think that this is the horniest of the Friday the 13th films. Uh, 100%, and it's part of why it was my favorite as a kid. Of course. <laughs> because what kid doesn't like seeing a bunch of tits? <laughs> well, because you were Tommy freaking out in his bedroom about not even, he didn't even really see tits. He saw the illusion of nudity and lost his shit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's really funny hearing Corey talk about being a kid on this set because because not not in that scene like he didn't actually see what was going down the window in that scene mm -hmm. but i i do want to say he was there for the skinny dipping scene i could be wrong mm -hmm. but but basically he makes a comment in an interview of like you know yeah i was a kid on the friday movie and like there's boobies you know <laughs> boobies like he was really as a kid he was really excited about the boobies and i yep. get that because at his age i was really excited about boobies too i'm still really excited about <laughs> boobies <laughs> yes you are but no it's it's one of the reasons why I also like this Friday the 13th movie because, you know, yes, sex and horror, especially with slashers, kind of go hand in hand. You know, with this one, it is doing a lot of, at least for me, some interesting commentary on sex and growing up and all that kind of stuff. Because, mm. hey, we have the Tommy Jarvis stuff where he's at an age where he's becoming more aware of sex, but he's not old enough to really, like get it yet and i feel like you know that moment in his bedroom perfectly encapsulates like how we kind of feel at that age where like we get really excited about something that we don't quite understand okay you know you know you've got stuff like that you have you know teddy i fucking hate teddy teddy bear and we give teddy bear a kiss <laughs> fuck that dude who's yeah like, he's he's the worst little fuck boy ever <laughs> he's the worst but i do think that it speaks really perfectly to this weird like I want to say, except especially male culture of like judging another dude, like for his sexual experience. Like he's constantly calling Jimmy like a dead fuck, and it's just like, I'm mm. sorry, have you fucked Jimmy? Do you know what he's like in bed? You can't call him a dead. <laughs> Maybe fuck. he wants to fuck Jimmy. We don't know. That is also <laughs> a possibility. No, that 100 percent could be you know a possibility. But like you know, we see that sex culture where you have somebody who's like you know, constantly has the bravado about, like, sex is a good way to get to know new people and, like, sex mm. is everything. And he's left alone to watch weird black and white, like, silent porn. Like, not even good porn, just weird titty dances. Mm -hmm. And, like, this weird, you it know... It was style at the time. <laughs> <laughs> what, back in the 20s? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know... Was it alive then, Chris? <laughs> but, you know, I think that it speaks you know really well to like that whole culture that like this bravado you know sense can just lead you to sadly sitting in a room by yourself with your goddamn teddy bear it is interesting just kind of the way that the film approaches it because you know i feel like this is kind of the the ultimate friday film in the sense of putting us the audience in the role of jason mm -hmm. you know and and sort of you know, because Chris and I argue about this quite a bit, but I, I say Jason himself is a voyeur uh, because we constantly, <laughs> all throughout the franchise, have imagery of Jason, you know, from his point of view, stalking 
the camp counselors. And and and, and let's let's be He's clear. He's just there for murder, not sex voyeurism. Well, I disagree <laughs> because let's be fair, Jason tends to let his kills finish before he takes them out, you know? So. He's not rude. He wants to let them have at least one last good moment before he kills them. Who doesn't well, want to get killed in the throes of ecstasy? Well, well, right, but, but this is what I'm saying is that, you know, Friday, the final chapter, I think is the most, emphasizes the most the the kind of frustrating element of sex, you know, or, mm-hmm. or the the amount of pressure that's put on it by society. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, because yeah, you have Ted who, Ted Ted's the <laughs> ultimate, he's the ultimate fucking dude at the bar, like pressuring, you know, women and making yep. them uncomfortable because, because Teddy, bro, like, listen, if you're the dude who sits down next to a girl and is immediately like, give Teddy a kiss, Ugh. like, no fucking woman in their right mind likes that, no. you know? Like, at, at least not, at least none that I know like mm-hmm. that. So, you know, so he, he's like the ultimate, like putting the pressure on it and because he puts so much pressure on it, it leaves him disappointed, right? Yep. Like he's left, but like you said, by himself watching porn in the dark. Like that's <laughs> that's your that's your life if you put too much pressure on sex. And then mm-hmm. you know you just have all these characters that are like they're they put so much pressure on that element of of themselves and their relationships that you know Friday has always kind of been like a sort of thing of like. Well, you give into that and you die, and that's a whole Protestant <laughs> bit of bullshit. But, <laughs> but, but it is still kind of touching on that idea, and it, it ultimately leads me to believe, like, because the film so heavily emphasizes it, you know, it kind of got me thinking of like, I love the idea of Jason as being sort of like frustrated uh, sexually in a sense, like, like you know, it, it got me thinking like, there's so much horniness in this movie that Jason killing off these teens is almost like is almost like an act of his frustration that he can't get any you know like like he's so he's so upset that like you know he's he's like teddy like no one will ever accept him so he's so he has so, to kill everyone so else instead he has to kill everyone else and he and he penetrates them in his own way with his Ugh. many spears you know because if you really notice and pay attention Jason spears quite a few people in this movie. So. Yes, he does. <laughs> he, he, he penetrates more, I think, in this film than he does others. <laughs> he harpoons a dude in a dick. He sure does, because he is <laughs> mad at that guy for getting so much, right? Like he's like he's mad at that dude for for having Samantha and one of the twins, right? Like <laughs> to be fair, that dude has neither. He gets to kiss Samantha. Well, technically, and he, kind, he, he kind of cheats on her with the twin. No, I mean he's he's fucked Samantha, but I mean, he, he definitely he, has. He almost gets the twin and then and then shuts it down. Uh, as he, if as he's if a that respectful makes him boyfriend, kind of. No, is Not he? Really. Is he though? No, no. I, th- I think I think any boyfriend that like pushes his girlfriend away and is like "fuck you," I'm gonna go dance with the other girl <laughs> is not a respectful boyfriend, but. <laughs> I, you know, I don't love the idea of, of Jason just doing it because he's sexually frustrated. I like that he's just doing it because they're on his property, but I see where you're coming from with it. I also like the idea that it's his response to, like, if you if you push yourself too much with these things. Like, not necessarily saying that, like, sex is wrong, but, like, no, I... but like with Sarah, she's not necessarily... You know, she's questioning whether she's ready at the beginning of it. And she's kind of getting mm. pressured by Samantha of like, hey, no, I'm surprised you're not doing it. You yeah, know? Samantha's the not helpful friend of like, nah, fuck you. Go fuck. <laughs> right? And like not super being sensitive to somebody who's just like, I don't think I necessarily want to do that yet. Although yeah. I also love the fact that they refer to having sex as, you know, getting a reputation. 
Yeah, and <laughs> one that they're proud of. So th this is what's kind of funny too, you know, so like we can read into it all we want, but but really I think part of the <laughs> part of what's going on here is just the fact that uh, the screenwriter Barney Cohen admits himself that he was not good at writing women, and <laughs> and I, and I think that that at least he's honest. Yeah, at least he's honest about it. I think that comes through in the script. Just consider this for a moment, you know. So to, to get into the writing element of it is that Cohen at one point had an idea for uh, the end there when when Jason is fighting Trish, mm -hmm. and he had an idea that you know because basically they they wanted to have a moment I guess where they made Jason more human. To kind of, if not show his vulnerability, show that he could be killed off, right? Which is what mm -hmm. the unmasking is all about. And <laughs> Cohen's original idea was that Jason would touch Trisha's breast <laughs> before before having the mask taken off as a way to show that he was human and thought of human things, you know? That's the and worst thing I've ever heard, and I'm so <laughs> glad they didn't do that. I'm very glad they didn't do that, because I think, that's the, I think that's the wrong kind of humanization of Jason. <laughs> I touched a titty, and I got distracted. I touched a titty, and now I'm dead. <laughs> Titties kill is, the, is what the ultimate message of the final chapter would have been. <laughs> I will say, touching titties without consent gets you killed. I'm okay with that messaging. I'm, ju I'm just waiting for touching your tits to, like, get me off somehow like <laughs> like i'm gonna touch one and it's gonna like bite my hand off or something <laughs> oh, bitey biting titties that's the next thing we need in horror that already exists in horror i forget which movie but there is a film with 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 tits with teeth <laughs> awesome love that I, it might even be called like killer nipples or something i don't quite Ew. remember um, okay now i don't but the <laughs> but like okay uh, we're already kind of running out of time but of course we have to talk about the ending of the movie because we can't we can't not talk about this you know, so speaking of Jason uh, uh, potentially touching Trisha's tits, <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, we got this ending and it's like, you know, he here we are with the final chapter and they went through so many different ideas of like how to kill Jason off for this. Mm -hmm. um, like at one point, because because Tommy is this genius kid, uh, they, they wanted Tommy to have like a basically kind of like a mini microwave oven essentially and Tommy was gonna like stick this connector like into Jason's neck and like turn turn it all the way up to eleven or whatever and blow his head up and and that would have been fucking amazing actually I think I would have loved to have seen Jason's head explode. <laughs> I just don't know how a small child would get that attached to his face, but I mean head exploding is always good. But but they went through so many ideas and eventually they they came down to okay we're gonna put a machete through his face and yeah just I don't know I I think I think this is a. I like this ending. I, I have mixed feelings about the ending. Why is that? Okay, so I love the very, very end where we have, you know, the hospital scene and they kind of leave it open-ended to, you know, Tommy potentially taking up the, the Freddy man or the Tommy potentially taking up the Jason mantle because mm. I always love that shit. And by them not doing that, I was deprived of a of a Jamie from Halloween versus Tommy from Friday the Thirteenth, like why versus would they moment. have fought each other? <laughs> because if if Jamie had become the new Michael and Tommy had become the new Jason, then that would have been the perfect versus, and it would have been amazing. But are I was you, deprived. Are you thinking about this in terms of them as little children fighting each other? In these I roles? would take them as little children. I would like take a them as mini adults. Michael and a mini Jason. You know, I would I would take them any way I could get them. Any of it would have been better than Jason 
Jason versus Freddy. You know, I, I like that open-endedness of it. I love seeing Tommy go off on Jason because I think that that is one of the more relatable moments of Friday the 13th is like, look, this fucking behemoth of a man who has thrown people through windows, busted through doors, has come after your fucking sister. Mm. Like, you've taken a machete to him and then he twitches. Yeah, you're going to just go like hog wild and like machete the shit out of that dude. Yeah, and, and you can really see uh, you know, it kind of worked out because Feldman actually had a fever that day, so so you can so he was really struggling to like lift that machete and do that scene, and so you can kind of mm-hmm. see like the the pain and in a sense terror in his eyes mm-hmm. that kind of came through because of that because he he actually is really struggling to do that in the moment, mm-hmm. uh, which I think works because yeah. yeah, you're you're showing this kid like struggling with the trauma of what he's doing in the moment. (laughs) (laughs) But it's for me, I think it's totally just probable, which I think then gets negated by Trish in the hospital being like, you haven't answered my question. Like, what about Tommy? I'm like, bitch, this dude threw Rob through a goddamn window. You're saying you wouldn't machete him like 30 times out of trauma. Well, no, I think, I think it's a justifiable (laughs) concern though, because you know, there's something that there's something that comes out in mm-hmm. Tommy in that moment. It's not just taking out Jason. It's mm-hmm. it's like it, it's almost like an enjoyment of it, right? Like he like he doesn't he doesn't just put the <laughs> machete through his head and then that's it. He puts that machete through his head 30 fucking times it feels like, right? He's like he's 12. Right. Children which is, are filled with rage and he's at a weird confusing age. He's right. not a and kid, if, he's not a teenager. Right. And if and if I saw my kid hack a machete into someone 30 fucking times, I'd be a little uncomfortable around them afterwards too. So. <laughs> I would just take so, them regularly to the break it shit place. Whatever. Uh, so <laughs> but no, but it's interesting because, you know, at the time the studio did not have did not as far as Zito know knew have any intention of doing a sequel. But, you know, the reason they didn't do the head explosion or they also originally had an idea where the machete was going to go like through the middle of Jason's skull and kind of like cleave it like a cantaloupe, so (laughs) to speak. And and the studio didn't didn't greenlight either of those ideas. And that was kind of Zito's moment to being like, oh, they're they're probably leaving room open for a sequel. Right. (laughs) But But it was Zito specifically who wanted to do this who wanted to do this open-ended thing of Tommy potentially becoming Jason. Uh, and I actually think the idea was pretty cool. Cause it was this concept of like, you know, I think as they described it, like, uh, like Jason's madness almost being like a germ that's like passed on to Tommy mm-hmm. uh, through the killing of him. And I think, you know, I think that's kind of a little bit of where Jason goes to hell kind of the concept comes from. Yeah. It's just that idea that like, you know, this sort of whatever is possessing Jason can kind of be passed on. Uh, and I still think that would have been really cool. I still would have really liked to have seen that. Obviously, that wasn't the studio's uh, intention. But one thing I want to say here really quick, I wrote a piece about this on KillerHorrorCrick.com that you can find if you just type, like, masks and Jason or whatever in the search bar. But basically, you know, I've always loved this idea of the vulnerability of slasher villains once you take the mask off. Mm-hmm. You know, because... And that and that was a big reason why they took the mask off in the final chapter was the concept that, you know, when he has the mask on, Jason's the monster. And when the mask comes off, it humanizes him to a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just a man at that point. A, a very hideous looking man, but a man oh. nonetheless. <laughs> I'd love that. And, and I always love this idea of the vulnerability of slasher villains because if you ever really watch these movies, 
you know, the point when they are typically killed off is after the unmasking. And I originally I wrote the piece in the in sort of a response of like, you know, the fact that everyone was bitching about having to wear masks during COVID. But but I think I think it applies to this because when you watch these films, like these killers do kind of hide behind a mask. Mm-hmm. And it, and once that mask comes off, they are vulnerable. And something that's kind of cool about the final chapter is that I feel like a lot of characters are kind of wearing a little bit of a mask, you know? Yes. And and when that mask comes off, they are made more vulnerable. Like, Ted's kind of one of those. Ted is a character that presents himself as, like, the ladies' man. Mm-hmm. And once it's kind of revealed that he's really not that, and once he himself is really starting to feel that, mm-hmm. that's when he's killed off, when, he, when he's vulnerable. Yeah. You know? So I just always kind of thought that was a fun sort of piece of this movie is just how a lot of characters are sort of wearing a mask or hiding a secret. And it's once they kind of, you know, become vulnerable uh, that they're killed off. Like, you got Rob the Hunter, uh, played by Eric Anderson, who, like, you know, he's he's this big tough guy and all that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and then once Jason kills him, you know, he arguably has the most vulnerable uh, death of all of them where he's just... <laughs> flat up screeching in the basement he's killing me he's killing me <laughs> and and it's funny you know because us as an audience we all kind of laugh at it because uh-huh. it's pretty silly zito says it's his favorite kill and I, I sort of get why because um because the intention there is to show that vulnerability right mm-hmm. and and to show that once the mask comes off like you're kind of just human at that point and yeah. <laughs> you're you're a naked weak little human you can get murdered <laughs> Exactly, yeah. So so wear that mask. Don't yeah. take that mask off during COVID. Protect yourself, yeah. I guess, is my ultimate message. Um, it gives you power. Exactly. The mask gives you power. And no, that's what I really believe. Like, the mask mm-hmm. in horror movies gives you powers. Absolutely. Especially with Jason. Yeah. Oh, one last thing I want to add, too, because I think it's cool. So you, you know how there's that scene in, uh, before we wrap up here, you know how there's that scene in Friday where the mother is kind of looking out at all the kids appearing at the cabin Mm -hmm. and she has this kind of like mysterious sort of like strange way that she looks at them Mm -hmm. the actress herself said that she was wanting to kind of play it like an interpretation that she could be a killer you know that she could be the killer and and sort of like tie back into the kind of Pamela Voorhees idea and I love that because you know, I, that is I, awesome. <laughs> I wish that had been the route that they had gone because I love the idea of kind of creating a new Jason and a Pamela, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with her. And actually, they originally had a dream sequence like all the other Fridays, where because we never get, and so one thing that really pisses me off about Final Chapter is we never actually see her death. We see everybody else's and not hers. Yeah. And the rule in horror movies is if we don't see you die, you're still alive. You're you know? not dead. And and there was this dream sequence that has Trish finding the mother in a bathtub, in, in the upstairs bathtub, and Jason, like, appears behind her, and then the mom's eyes actually open, like we always expected Pamela pamela's eyes to open mm-hmm. you know uh at the end of the movie and and i'm kind of pissed that that was cut because i think that would have been really cool but <laughs> think about how cool this the next movie would have been part five could have been if it was tommy like stepping into the jason role and then the mom since she died off camera which means that she's not really dead um shows up to be you know his pamela and we could have had they- a mother son like Friday the 13th. I'm so mad right they, now. They had the perfect opportunity to do the idea of like Jason's 
vengeance or whatever, passing on like a disease. And <sighs> I, I would have been so cool had they done that. And that's what that's what part five was supposed to be when they called it a new beginning. It was supposed mm-hmm. to be it was supposed to tell audiences and 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 hint to them this is a new Jason story, but studios or a new are, Friday story. Studios are such chicken shit with this stuff because they keep setting up these really cool people to take over the franchises, but it'd be very different. Like again with Jamie from Halloween, Tommy from Friday the Thirteenth, and it could be so cool, but they're they're such cowards. Uh, they're not always cowards. It's really just that us fans react so vehemently that they're like, okay, sorry guys, we fucked up. We'll go back to what you want. You know? Fuck you fans, <laughs> I want this. Ultimately, probably best that we went back to Jason because we love Jason. But We do love Jason. Uh, but anyway, we do have to start wrapping up. We're already over time. So who is your killer idiot of the final chapter? It's Rob for chasing after a knife into a darkened basement in a house filled with murder victims. Like, get out of the goddamn house, Rob. <laughs> Probably not the best idea, but Rob does want to kill Jason, so I mean, whatever. <laughs> Trish has a machete. Just take her machete. Either way, um, mine is Teddy, uh, for what I already said. Stop trying to fucking kiss women the moment that you sit down next to them. Nobody Teddy. likes that. You're going to get denied every time. Nobody likes imagine. you, Teddy. Nobody likes you, Teddy. Fuck you. <laughs> and I, I love him punching the teddy bear because it tells me that he secretly knows that he sucks. <laughs> yeah, he hates himself. <laughs> and it makes him feel better to give Jimmy shit because he sucks so much. Yep. Uh, what about your killer death in Final Chapter? So, also Rob, because every time he screams he's killing me multiple times, I lose it. I know that I shouldn't be laughing as someone's getting murdered, but it's my favorite death scene. It's just, it's it's too funny. Yeah, I, I gotta go with, uh, with Chris Glover getting corkscrewed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, I mean, I, I love the entirety of that scene. Although I did think it was funny. Um, I'm glad they went with what they did because I think it's very effective. Uh, but apparently the writer Cohen had written it that Jimmy was going to get a corkscrew to his head. And they were going to oh. have like an almost x-ray kind of shot, like showing the corkscrew go in. Which I'm not really sure that would have fit the movie. But no. I, I like how it ultimately went. Yeah. Although the original version is much bloodier. <laughs> like like Crispin, Crispin originally had a lot more blood coming out of his head. Aw, <laughs> I want more blood. Don't we all? Um, what about your killer MVP of the film? I mean, do you have to ask? It's Jason. Of course. So, so Ted, Ted White, White is Jason? Yeah. Okay. You know, just because he did bring, you know, a really different take to Jason than what we had seen in the previous films. And I do, you know, I do agree with you that... You know, the way that he portrayed Jason really, you know, informed our later ones. Um, so, yeah, Jason always wins because Jason is amazing and he's the king of all slashers. Jason is amazing. I'm not going to call him the king of all slashers, though. It's uh, <gasps> pretty for me. But anyway, so, no, my killer MVP was Tom Savini because, and, and look, I think, it, I think it could have gone to a lot of people, but it, it's Tom Savini for me. I, I love him coming back for this. He wasn't the first choice, which he should have been. Aww. Uh, but the, but the producers did eventually bring him in, and I just feel like he he made the grisliest Friday film. You know, yeah. between him and Zito, they made the grisliest one. And that's not to say that there aren't there there isn't more gore in other Friday films. I mean, for God's sakes, Jason Goes to Hell is a <laughs> extreme gore fest, which is why I fucking love Jason Goes to Hell, and I wish that more people respected <laughs> it because it's actually a really fun movie. But so so the final chapter isn't the goriest of them. But it's the most grisly. It's, mm-hmm. it, it adds into why I think it's one of the scarier Fridays is that these kills feel legitimately like 
uncomfortable, frightening, bloody. You know, I mean, the goddamn nurse in the beginning gets fucking gutted from like you know growing the sternum. Like it's real. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some really horrific shit in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and I just think Savini just did such a great job. You know, it the gore in this one feels like some of the meanest kind of kills in the franchise, and makes it feel scary. And I just love Savini's comment that you know, in coming back to this, he sort of felt like Dr. Frankenstein in the sense that he got to create Jason for the original film. And then coming back for this, he basically got to also kill the creation as well, you know? So, uh, and I love the way that he did it. I think ultimately, even though it wasn't their first idea, mm-hmm. the machete going through Jason's head is still pretty fucking epic. So. Oh, he's so cool. The gore in that is amazing. Yeah. So every week on Twitter, we always like to put up a poll on our Twitter at Killer Critics, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film, what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on the final chapter? Love it is Friday the 13th. Yeah, of course they do. Uh, yes. o- overwhelmingly so. So so love it got 69.8%. Uh, it's fine was, yeah. Uh, it's fine was 16.4%. Don't like it was 5.2%. And never seen it was eight point six percent. So that's a small number, but I would say mm-hmm. that eight point six percent. You need to watch this movie this weekend. Go <laughs> like, watch it. It's so fucking good. Uh, and so we always like to get your comments as well. So these are all from Twitter. So first comment is from at thirteen score movie. So that's the numbers one three score movie. And they say high water mark of the series. Human Jason greater than zombie Jason. It opened on Friday, April the 13th, 1984, debuted number one in the box office. The montage pushed the opening scene in same location as part three is tremendous, exceptionally well cast. Tom Savini's effects, perfect end to the Friday 13th phase one, classic poster art, and a great score. Yeah, I, I have nothing to disagree with you on that. I do think that this is one of the best Friday the 13th films in the entire franchise for all of the reasons you just brought up. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, they, they basically said it all. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it is, like I said, my personal favorite. I do think that this is a little bit zombie Jason, even though he moves fast. Jason is technically, I think, a little bit dead <laughs> at this point. But <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> he did get a machete through his skull. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but no, but I agree with all that. And I just want to comment on the poster art. I do think the poster art for this is great. It always really intrigued me as a kid. Uh, Jason's mask lying there in a pool of blood. I always thought that was fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, completely agree. So thank you at 13 score movie for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at the howling hour underscore. So that's the howling hour underscore. And they say best film in the franchise, in my opinion, actually funny jokes, pretty good kills across the board, despite not being able to linger on much. Crispin Glover is the delight. Feldman's Tommy is a likable enough kid and the final chase scenes are exhilarating. Yeah. Uh, again, agree with all of that stuff. I think the only reason for me why like, you know, Jason X wins out a little bit more is literally just because of the over top, over the top campness. But if we're looking critically at which one is the best one, obviously this one wins for the dance scene alone. More for the 13th should have been scenes. <laughs> I mean, I people think I'm joking <laughs> when I say this, but I always kind of feel like there should be a musical number in every horror movie. <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, so just look at Summer Party Massacre too. That movie's amazing because of the musical exactly. numbers. Um, but but no, so yeah, no, I completely agree with the Howling Hour and all this. It's my favorite as well. Uh, I do think the joke that the jokes are actually funny, and I think that this is a great example of a Friday movie where 
you know, I hate that people always refer to these movies as characters having no personality because I actually think that a lot of characters have a lot of personality in this film. You Friday know, does it the best with having characters that you get attached to and who feel well, human. Well, let's not say the best. But I they, wouldn't say the best. But they, they do a much better job than I think they get credit for, and I think this is an example of that, especially mm-hmm. with Crispin's character and, you know, him kind of going through that sort of feeling of, like, am I good enough, you know? Yeah. Because uh, I think that's something we all kind of go through as teenagers at one point, at least some of us. Um, and, yeah, and the final chase scenes are exhilarating. You know, I, I love that it comes down to, like, trish and a, and a little boy you know like mm-hmm. trish has this moment where it's like fuck it's just me and my little brother like yeah uh and and again ted white's just so vicious it's amazing so anyway thank you at the holly now underscore for a comment for the comment appreciate it i want to throw in really quickly because i didn't mention this and i want to make sure i do we've talked about how vicious ted white is we talked about how much he hated cory Feldman <laughs> on the set and so just for anyone who's like oh i don't know ted white kind of sounds like a bad guy i want to clarify a reason why he's not and so that kill where samantha's in the raft mm-hmm. uh, in the one scene that was all done this movie was shot in the winter uh oh. and and so so the water was very cold and samantha actually went through a point where basically the way that scene was done is so you know savini always believed in having uh human body parts present with fake body parts of to course. kind of sell to kind of sell the effect and so the way that raft scene was done is Trish is actually standing upright in the water. So the shoulders and her head are actually her body parts. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a cast of a body uh, where the where the spear is coming through. Mm-hmm. So Trish was at. So the actress is actually standing in that freezing cold water for quite a while. And Zito really wanted to finish the scene. I'm not going to criticize Zito because I, I wasn't there, mm-hmm. you know, so maybe he was a jerk about it. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. But she wanted to get out. He wouldn't let her because he wanted to finish the scene. And eventually Ted White like got pissed off and made Zito let her get out and get warmed up. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that she had gotten hypothermia. Shit. Like, so, so it was actually really great that Ted did that. Mm-hmm. But I, I just love stories like that of like, you know, someone like Ted staying up and being like, no, fuck you, director. <laughs> let that poor woman get warmed up and then we'll continue the scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I just want to throw that in there. So anyway, next comment is from at shutter point three. So that's S-H-U-T-T-E-R point and then the number three. And they say my favorite in the Friday 13th series, see Chris, everyone loves Friday four. <laughs> <laughs> I was about Corey Feldman's age when this was released, easy to identify with a horror-loving kid having to deal with a killer in the woods. I mean, I just think that that's awesome. Like, that's that's the great thing about horror, and especially when you get into horror at a younger age, is, like, being able to see movies like this where you get to connect with those characters. You get to connect with Tommy and what he's going through and all that kind of stuff. And look, I totally understand. I think that it makes sense that, you know... Friday the 13th final chapter is a lot of people's favorite because I do 100% agree. This is the best Friday the 13th movie in the franchise. But everyone was so mean to Jason X for so long that, look, I am Pamela. It is my Jason. I will defend it like a rabid bear. A film only a mother could love. Um, No, I do love Jason X, though. (laughs) No, I, I think that's Jason goes to hell and you're the rabid bear in that sense. Maybe. Uh, but yeah, no. So like I said, you know, in response to Shutter, in response to Shutter Point, um, yeah, it was, I I was not I was not born when this movie came out, uh, but I did see this film around the time uh, that I was Corey Feldman's age when he made the movie, 
and, and there is there was something really special about being able to see this movie at that age you know and be able to see honestly one of the earlier experiences i had was seeing a kid my age uh in a horror film taking on someone like jason's that's mm-hmm. It's really exhilarating. It's really inspiring. And it's why, again, I think this the, the horror genre is so cathartic and important for kids that are facing difficult things, you know? And, yeah. it's, and so I, I think it has a lot to do with why I love the final chapter. But anyway, thank you at ShutterPoint13 for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is a comment from at Half Horror. So that's Half Horror. And they say, I said on my own podcast, so they have a podcast, you should check it out. Uh, they say, I said on my own podcast that it really feels like someone crashed an 80s teen sex comedy into the side of a Jason movie, and I mean that in all the best ways. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely agree with that, just because there is so much, you know, great teen drama in this. You know, we talked about the sex in this film, and it does a great job of kind of encapsulating what it's like to be a teenager and dealing with, you know, all of the sex shit and all of mm. the heavy burdens that come with it. And then, you know, Jason just jumps through your goddamn window and murders you, so you don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah, so like we've been saying, you know, it's this is the Friday film I think puts kind of the most emphasis on sex <laughs> and, and, you know, kind of the comedic elements sort of of all of that, you know. It does, it does feel a little bit like, you know, maybe vaguely like Animal House meets Friday the 13th, right? Like just because <laughs> oh, you, you do have kids or, or characters like Ted and Jimmy that feel kind of out of a movie like that, right? Where they're just constantly giving each other shit for, you know, failing in their sex capades. So <laughs> anyway, so thank you at Half Horror for the comment. Appreciate it. And then last comment is from at Shannon Morant. And they have a couple questions for us. So they say two questions. Uh, do you think this is the last movie that Jason is truly scary? And do you think it was stupid of Trish to go back down the stairs knowing Rob was getting killed? If that was me, I'm out of there. So obviously, <laughs> obviously referring to the scene where Rob's screaming, I'm killing me or he's killing me. And then Trish goes back down the stairs anyways. <laughs> uh, okay. So answer the first question. Look, it's, it's tough for me to really say that because if I say that this is the last time that Jason is scary, then I'm negating Kane Hodder being a scary Jason, which hurts my heart a little bit. Personally, well, let's be honest, it's true. It's not, I well, think actually, they're scary in different ways. Well, well I, let's say this I don't think it's that Kane Hodder isn't a scary Jason. I think Kane Hodder is a very effective Jason. Obviously, yeah. he is. That's why we all love him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we can be honest that maybe parts seven through <laughs> ten are not the scariest in the franchise. Think, They're more fun. Yeah, I think this is the last time that we do get a scary Friday the 13th film before it starts, like, you know, evolving into the more campy Friday the 13th films that we still well, love. Well, when when Kane, when Kane came on board, that was mm-hmm. when these movies really became like, all right, we want to take it out of the camp. We want to do more fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And look, this is what I've always admired about the Friday the 13th franchise, because even though it doesn't all work, <laughs> I've always considered it way more interesting than something like the Halloween franchise, which is always just the same goddamn repetitive bullshit over yep. and over again. And, and I'm sure I'm getting a lot of Halloween fans <laughs> mad at me. Don't get me wrong. I like that franchise. I love that franchise. I love Michael Myers. But I think the J- I think the Friday franchise is more fun. It's more interesting because when Kane came on board, you did get Jason, like, you know, dealing with telekinesis and mm-hmm. then going on a fucking boat to New York, you know, <laughs> or, or like going to space or oh, becoming I- a fucking like demon spreading goblin, you know? Like, <laughs> I do definitely think that, you know, 
Ted White's Jason would not have worked in the later Jason films. It would have been a very different franchise. I think it would have worked really well in 5, because 5 kind of has a vicious sort of tone to it that I think White would have been really good with. Yes, he would have done well in 5, but he wouldn't have done well in 6. And look, I I will say something, you know, I will 100% defend that I think Friday the 13th is the best franchise because it knows what it is. Even when we get into telekinesis and space and everything like that. And that's why I love Ted White. I think that he's a great Jason, but... And it is the last scary Friday the 13th film because it evolves with the time and it still feels natural. And yes, Trish is an absolute idiot. If someone's yelling at the bottom of the stairs, help, he's killing me. You get the fuck out of the house. Yeah, so... (laughs) So many horror girls are so dumb. I love them, but they're dumb. Well, so like like I already said, you know, I do think that this is the last truly scary Friday 13th film. Mm -hmm. I love all the other ones, but this Mm -hmm. is the last one that I think is truly kind of terrifying. Um, and I, and I, and to answer that question, I will also say that, yeah, no, Tris is a complete <laughs> idiot going down the stairs because, because Rob's very clearly dead. He screamed, yes. he's killing me. <laughs> and then he goes silent. Yep. He's gone, Trish. All right. You need to get the fuck out of there. There's a man <laughs> at the bottom of the staircase murdering people. Yeah. I like, like, uh, like James, you know, says I, I would have been long gone too. Like, yeah. fuck that noise. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, thank you at Shannon Moran for the comment. Appreciate it. All right, so one last thing we like to do before we wrap up here is our releases for the week. So just a few films that you can keep a lookout for that are coming to you. First up is a film called The Exorcism of God. What? And, <laughs> and this is coming to VOD on the 11th. And you can read my review for this on killerhorrorcritic.com if you'd like. It should be up by the time you're listening to this or, or maybe a day or two later. Uh, But this is basically a film about a priest who has kind of an exorcism gone wrong in the opening of the film, and it leaves him having committed a sin that, you know, leaves him kind of like guilt-ridden 18 years later. Mm -hmm. And then 18 years later, he gets somewhat of a Silence of the Lambs meets exorcism film kind of scenario where there's a possessed person in a uh, prison that he has hired with his mentor to go exercise the demon out of and i won't say any more than that um including why it is called exorcism of god but (laughs) (laughs) uh this this was a it's a fun film you know Mm -hmm. if you like exorcism movies i think you'll be very entertained by this it's it is not uh (laughs) it it's a film that takes itself i don't want to say i don't i actually don't really want to say it takes itself seriously because it there are moments that are so camp that it has to be intentional. Uh, but it's kind of a camp exorcism film that alternatively, as goofy and campy as it is at times, uh, it is very effective in some of the scares. There's a possessed, crucified Jesus that <gasps> that honestly really creeped me out. Um, <laughs> I want to watch this so bad now. And, and and the demon, the demonic effects are really good. There's a lot of really great scares in the film. As a fantastic atmosphere, kind of reminds me a little bit of James Wan's work with the Conjuring universe and stuff like that. Uh, but it does verge on camp, you know. So it is a film that I don't think will work for everybody because it's just as silly, I think, unintentionally in some ways. <laughs> this sounds like the best exorcism film uh, ever. <laughs> as it is scary, like there are moments that really 
reminded me of like Leslie Nielsen's Repossessed, you know, like again, not intentional. It really does not feel intentional in some of these, but there are moments in the film that verge on feeling like that sort of parody because they are so goofy. So, so a lot of, so some of it really doesn't work, but the atmosphere and the scares are very effective. Everything else is kind of very over the top. Can't really take it too seriously. It doesn't necessarily work. <laughs> um, but so if you're curious, check it out. You can read my review on killerhardcourt.com. Uh, another film is Ultrasound. This is coming to VOD on the 11th as well. Uh, this one I caught at a festival a while back. You can also read my review for that on killerhardcourt.com. Was not a fan of this one, but I want to mention it for those who may be. Uh, Ultrasound... I really don't even want to get into the plot because I feel like it can get spoilery. But basically, it involves a guy who his car dies and he encounters some weirdness uh, with a man and his and his wife. And then basically the film kind of moves into this... I don't even know how to describe it almost. Like, it, it gets into, like, really weird, like, territory of whether or not things happening are real or not. There's kind of like oh. a... Yeah, I I really don't know how to talk about it without spoiling it, so I really don't want to say much about it. But but it, it's a film that's very scientific. It's very mind fucky. It really didn't work for me. But if you're kind of into kind of like weirder kind of sci-fi thrillers, then maybe check this out. Mm-hmm. But but I am going to warn: I do not think this film works in my opinion. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, and then lastly is a film called Off Season, and this is also on the view on VOD on the eleventh. Uh, this is a film from Mickey Keating, who many of you probably know from Darling, which is my personal favorite film of his. And this one involves a woman going back to the island where her mother was born after her mother's death. And I think it's to, if I remember right, it's to collect her ashes or something like that. Basically, like her mother died there, you know, and she's going back to the island uh, and ends up getting trapped there. And then to say anything further, maybe would be to spoil it. But uh, this is a great film. If you watch anything this weekend... I highly, 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 highly recommend Off Season. I loved it. It's amazing. I think Mickey Keating's an incredible director. And this film basically deals with like a lot of kind of Lovecraftian sort of weird kind of islandy elements, right? And and like villagers turning into things. And it's just, it's a very cool movie. It's, it's, it, it probably sounds like more of a creature feature than it is the way mm-hmm. I'm pitching it. It's not quite that, but it is just very interesting, very cool film. Uh, so do check that out if you can. Uh, and you can also, uh, not my review, but you can find my my, my old assistant editor, uh, Caitlin Nelson. You can find her review for Offseason on KillerHorrorCreate.com still. Uh, but do go check that out. It's incredible. You can also find my interview with Mickey, Ke- with Mickey Keating on the, on the site as well. Uh, so that's going to do it for us on Friday the 13th, the final chapter. So hopefully that was fun. Hopefully we said something about, you know, the film that was interesting. I don't know. Next week is going to be The Return of the Living Dead, uh, which you can find streaming on Tubi. So if you want to do your homework, get a head start on the film there, go check it out. Uh, otherwise, that's going to do it for us on the final chapter and Jason. So I'm Matt. <laughs> and I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled. 
just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>